0: Hey everyone. You're listening to The Talent Revolution, where we believe that focusing on quality over volume and being different, not better, is the right way to hire the best humans and build stronger teams. To help you do this, I go behind the scenes with forward-thinking recruiters, employer brand experts, and people leaders making a huge difference to their organizations. Today we're joined by Billy Shipley. Billy's a native of She's been a snowboard instructor, content creative, a workplace operations lead, and most recently head of employee experience. She's obsessed with creating a workplace and culture that's productive and fun. And she spent over 10 years working in employee experience, internal comms, employee engagement, and HR project management. She's focused on employee programs and processes that affect the entire life cycle of an employee's journey and increased engagement. She graduated from Emerson College in Boston where she majored in media marketing, Her degree focused on marketing, media relations, and communication studies within the entertainment and media space. And most importantly, she lives in LA with her family, where she enjoys being outdoorsy and listening to true crime podcasts. Billy, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Cool, so really excited to spend some time kind of learning more from the best of the best in employee experience. And I guess to get us going in that vein, where do you go, right? Like if someone's looking to improve their knowledge around employee experience or offer a better experience to their team, where are you turning to? Who are you listening to?
1: I think the best way that I've learned about employee experience is from my day-to-day job. I started as an office manager personally, like the employees were my customers. I think learning more about employee experience, I mean, LinkedIn learning, I mentioned this to you, Adam Grant, Renee Brown, just going through and just sucking up all the organizational development information and anything around kind of humans in the workplace. Employee experience in general is your physical space, your technology platforms that you use day to day, and your culture. So you're looking in such a broad way, that broad education of all the things that touch an employee through their entire life cycle and journey at a company.
0: Sure. No, I mean, that makes loads of sense. I think building on that, like what's the biggest mistake you're seeing organizations make from an employee experience perspective?
1: I think when people kick someone out the door, um, you see a lot of people give a two-week notice and they're asked to leave then and there. Like they're the enemy and they're not, they've, I mean, this doesn't go to everyone, but for the most part, especially if an employee has been there for a few years, they're emotionally connected to the company and you can do it right if you offboard correctly. Mm-hmm. So you need to kind of like let them feel heard, show them that their time was valued, like appreciate them a little bit. That doesn't need to be with like a giant dinner or anything like that. But, you know, doing an exit survey that's in person, asking questions, like, especially if someone's in let it burn mode fine, don't have the full two weeks, but like, listen to them, let them like, let the steam out a little bit. So when they go and they talk about your company, to their friends, to their family, to their networks, to their alumni networks, to future employees, they're talking positively about you. And when you're doing those surveys, you may learn something along those ways. And I put a little note here that I even go as far to compare notes. So Mm -hmm. mirror questions to the manager why are you leaving why do you think this person is leaving that way you can also kind of learn something and maybe iterate on things that you're doing with your onboarding or your employee experience process
0: sure no that makes those a sense and so when you're talking about like mirroring questions you're essentially saying you're going to be asking the employee why they're leaving and obviously gathering that data and feedback but also asking similar questions to the managers to see if there's like a discrepancy between their perspectives on that is that fair
1: Absolutely, yeah. If I am telling my manager I'm leaving because I got a new opportunity, but I'm telling HR that I'm leaving because I'm burnt out and my manager's terrible, like that discrepancy, like that feedback loop hasn't been there. Maybe there's a manager mm-hmm. training you can have there. And that goes back to like, kind of the employee journey during, like, and all of those feedback loops and continuous feedback and all the fun things that you do during the life cycle, the employee experience journey.
0: No, I mean, that makes so much sense, right? We speak to loads of organizations that do a, you know, a reasonable job of speaking to people as they're going out the door. Obviously, some of them aren't giving them the best of experiences, and your point is super true, but they're at least gathering the feedback. But I don't speak to many organizations that are getting offboarding feedback from the managers of those departing and actually wrecking the two and making sure that they're kind of singing from the same hymn sheet. So that's super useful as a takeaway, and thanks for sharing that with us. You talked a bit about You know, you're talking about people leaving and the importance of, I guess, kind of owning that narrative, right? And people are kind of exiting the business, they're becoming an alumni, they've had a good experience, they're emotionally invested in the company, and you want them to be saying positive things in the market, right? Like, that's, I guess, contributing to your external employer branding and, like, what that voice looks like in the market. How do you think about the differences? Because I know you've kind of gone through, I guess, both sides of the spectrum, right? But how do you think about the differences between internal and external employer branding? And like, should there be a big difference between those two things?
1: I think they are very different, but they connect in so many ways. So Mm -hmm. I look at internal, what's going on? Why is it fun to be here? Keeping people engaged, which engagement is just the emotional connection they have to the company, And you can take that and you can turn it into an external message, but it's going to have a slightly different story Mm -hmm. behind it. And when I'm looking at like external, I'm telling the truth, but I'm I'm telling a rose colored glasses of it. I think internal messaging, if you're doing it right, you're telling more of the truth of what's going on Mm -hmm. because people, people want authenticity within their role, like within their companies. I think everyone looks at, you know, a life at Instagram and just knows that it's, it's slightly edited mm-hmm. version of what's going on. Yeah. But I, I think that's okay. I think everyone knows there's marketing going on. I don't think you put that same rose color in front of your employees
0: Sure, because like the quote unquote bullshit filter is like super prominent internally, right? You can't escape it because everybody can see that. I think interesting to kind of drill deeper, right? So you talk about everybody kind of understands the life at pinpoint or the life at insert company. Here's Instagram page is like a very curated rose colored version of what real life at X looks like. Like, how do you think about managing that with candidates, right? Like, candidates see through all of this stuff. Obviously, the internal bullshit filters may be a bit stronger than the external one, but like, how authentic should you be trying to be? And how do you kind of strike a balance there?
1: I mean, if I have 50 pictures of an event, I'm not going to mm-hmm. show 50 pictures of people that were drunk at 11 o'clock at
2: night.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no but I I'm going to show, like, we did this really cool event that people really enjoyed going, and look, there's hundreds of people there mm-hmm. that's real mm-hmm. like it happened and i um, showing real photos of employees not just the awards and those things like I think candidates can see that and so I think there's like a little bit of a lens that you show a little bit of like a, a little opening but yeah it's like any other Instagram like Instagram models they you know yeah
0: yeah, it's painful. Absolutely it's painful. It's paid for.
1: It's professional photos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, employees love that stuff too. They love to be featured. And so you can kind of take also that external message and put it internal and say, we featured this person and giving your employees the way to kind of take over, you know, do an Instagram for the day and see what life at. Mm-hmm. And those are real. But you might just, you might be picking your most engaged employees when you're doing that.
0: For sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I I think like we've seen some stuff out in the market of like, literally people doing super, we're going to call it authentic, sometimes that means low quality, but like, just stuff on their phones, like this is my desk, this is the people who sit around me, this is what I spend my day doing. And it's not like overly edited and polished, but it seems to really resonate with an audience because they're getting like a truer picture of what life's actually like at the organization, right? But then your point is super valid, like, They're still cherry-picking the super happy, smiley, pretty, like engaged employees rather than like Bob in the corner who's miserable, right? So yeah, that that totally makes sense to me. But you, you said something super interesting there, and and we talked about this a little bit before, right? But in the context of using employees from an external employer branding perspective, right? And we talk, you know, we'll we'll come back to this a bit later, but we talk about like some of the bigger like issues in the marketplace and like companies taking stances on things. How do you get employees and like team members engaged with those issues or like how do you get them participating in terms of your external employee brand without feeling like abused i guess is the point
1: i mean we kind of talked about this people don't want to be the face of lgbtq plus mm-hmm. necessarily they may want yep. to and i think that you kind of have to work on yourself first internally
2: mm-hmm.
1: it can't be what you said it can't be bullshit like if you have a great ERG and getting those people together and your internal group is strong and that presence and that belonging has happened, then people will want to go out and talk, especially ERGs. I mean, some of their pillars could be marketing of we're looking to recruit more people within this, like more diverse people in that group. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking for more black employees they wanna be going out and finding more black employees to join your company. That could be their pillar. And so external is part of that. But it needs to be their choice. I think that's what it really boils down to. I've had some history with people telling me, you know, I'm not comfortable yet doing that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's okay to say like, you know what, we gotta let's pause for a second and just make sure that what we're putting out there is authentic.
0: No, sure. I mean, that makes sense, right? And I think like we see this challenge a lot with smaller organizations because obviously we work with organizations of all different spectrums, right? But like especially those small organizations where they may have one person who sort of quote unquote ticks that diversity box or they may have their first female engineer, for example, or their first person of color in the team. And they feel like inherently like we need to hero this person and shout and scream about them because we want more of this type of person for all of the right reasons, right? Like the same things we all do. But I guess it's difficult sometimes to cross that boundary without that person feeling like, was I hired just because I ticked this checkbox, and am I here just as a marketing tool rather than as like it being a an actual celebration of the of the organisation and their, their really important role in it. So like it's it's kind of murky water sometimes, right? And it's difficult to strike that balance well.
1: Yeah, I think that no one wants to be the token fill in the blank. Mm-hmm you know, if you're always the female engineer, that's a great example of always going out and doing speaking and things like that. You know, some people love that. And that's really cool. And some people don't want to be that. And I think that it's such a fluid kind of part of that internal external branding, because you want to celebrate people. And I think also the celebration has to be authentic, too. You can't just kind of like, Mm -hmm. say that, yay, first female engineer, like, that's awesome. But I think that that person's work speaks for itself, how that person wants to be celebrated, Mm -hmm. things like that, making sure that you're celebrating even some of the, you know, these token holidays that we have become bigger and bigger, like Women's Month, I think, what, that's been like five years that's really (laughs) started to um, gain popularity within the tech community of like making a very big deal and doing a lot of events around it and things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Google goes really hard on that, like with their tech makers. And yeah.
0: So moving on. So, we, you know, we've talked holistically about like individual component parts of employee experience, right? But like employee experience as a field or as a area of interest is huge, right? You talked about this idea of employee experience being a circle. Can you kind of elaborate on what that means to you?
1: Sure. I think there's two kind of thoughts. There's kind of more of a like, you know, people can't see what I'm doing necessarily, but there's kind of a, <laughs> a line, a bump, and then... People leave and they go off. I'm more of a circle where, you know, you hear about the company, you're, you apply, you're recruited, you're onboarded, you have your journey through mm-hmm. whether you're promoted. Then, you know, you have your offboarding, your alumni status, and some people boomerang. And some companies do more boomeranging than others. But I think that's that part of, like, go back to the marketplace and, like, come back even more well-versed and a better version of yourself because there was a reason we hired you in the first place.
0: So I think that's really interesting, right? Because the point that you made around like the employee experience circle kind of resonates with me. Like, I think there's a a similar concept and like lots to be learned from the world of marketing in this regard, right? So like Gartner, as much as they're like a stodgy old organization, have this interesting thing like from lead to lawyer. And it essentially talks about taking like a marketing prospect from like their first touch point with your brand from a like a consumer perspective through to a lawyer, like a loyal advocate of the brand or like an evangelist that's recently, like they bought the product, they had such a great experience with it. Maybe they don't even use it anymore, but they're talking super favorably about your brand. And I sort of feel like those same lessons and that same sort of circular life cycle type thing applies here, right? And it's kind of what you're saying around like give them a great experience the whole way through. But like the life cycle doesn't finish when they're not at the company anymore. And they can come back and they can re-engage or they can be telling other people about the process and like yeah.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people forget about their alumni. Like they kind of say, mm-hmm. like, bye, here's your, you know, your packet on your last day peace. <laughs> and I have seen some companies, they do alumni. I worked at MySpace and we have like a little alumni Facebook group and mm-hmm. it's a solid group of people that are sharing, you know, articles and jobs and things like that. And not to say that like the MySpace people are Fox people, I guess it's not Fox anymore. Um, should be going in there and talking to them. But, mm-hmm. you know, how that group of people, they can lift your brand.
0: Absolutely. Depending on
1: how many people are part of it. And so I think that the alumni side is something I haven't necessarily explored, but I am a really big advocate for that side of employee experience. Maybe because I'm part of, like, a big alumni, like, with college.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, <laughs> <But>, not sure.
1: <laughs> but I think that same thought process applies. Because you may not be like donating back to your college, but you're donating like a marketing brand back to this mm-hmm. organization, good or bad.
0: That's it, and you're you're even doing that subconsciously, right? Like you you might be out there shouting and screaming about Emerson College and the fantastic or not fantastic experience you had there. Either way,
1: fantastic. But
0: like fantastic, great. Yeah. There you go, good good plug for Emerson there. But like, but even if you're not shouting and screaming about it, your actions and your success and your life are a reflection of your experience there. And I feel like it's the same post-employment right if someone has a a experience at pinpoint and they leave and they go on and do amazing things that reflects really positively on us either way even if that person never says the word pinpoint ever again right like their post-pinpoint life some way comes back to us and reflects on us whether it should or it shouldn't and so like i feel like people don't do enough of a job even just listening like forget talking but just like listening to what's being said and like understanding the narrative post-employment is super super important that's an Um,
1: amazing point i've actually haven't thought about the unsaid and now i'm gonna be doing so much research on this after this call because you're so right like I've talked about MySpace now, um, but like, mm-hmm. there's so many articles about MySpace or alumni that have gone to create companies, and mm-hmm. that sticks with them, like for sure. And that, like, the idea of how many people have started companies in LA is built on MySpace talent, mm-hmm. like that keeps reflecting on that company whether it exists or not. MySpace does exist still, in case anyone is curious. <laughs>
0: in case anyone's still wondering, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing. Like to bring that point home, I think like I've got a book on my bookshelf called The PayPal Mafia. And it talks about people's experiences at PayPal, but also these incredible individuals that came out of that experience and went on to found the next great stage of companies and the the experiences that those people came and so on and so forth, right? And like all of those things positively reflect on the PayPal experience, good and bad. It's an authentic voice, but the voices like people who were there were awesome and what a worthwhile experience. And I think people might not be writing books about your organization, but they are talking and you should be listening even if you're not, part of the conversation right
1: and them talking poorly i mean i can't even see that as being a benefit of how can we iterate on what we're doing
2: mm-hmm.
1: like what are people saying i think um the more you listen and people are more honest after they leave like especially right now with covid like all the surveys i'm sure have some sort of cheery disposition on them about mm-hmm. how people and feel at their current companies so i think like alumni is the best source of truth in kind of what was going well and what wasn't.
0: For sure. So kind of, I mean, we framed this idea of employee experience, right? But like, how are you measuring that? Like, the geek in the room has to ask the question, I'm really sorry, but like, how are you quantifying that? Like, what does good employee experience look like in a metric, is that possible? Like, what does that, how do you manage that?
1: I mean, it falls more on employee engagement, I think. Like, Mm -hmm. again, the emotional connection But you're looking at the employee experience from mostly surveys if you're looking at data. So you're looking at how did onboarding go? How's it going with your annual employee survey? Then those pulses along the way, and then your exit. You can even do like post exit surveys, like send them out, you know, three months, six months. Mm -hmm. Kind of showing alumni that they matter is really interesting. Even surveying people coming that didn't get, a position. I think that's also kind of that front of the employee experience. Like, how did the application go? Was that frictionless? Like, how did the, like, our interview process go? Will you apply again? Did we make a good impression? Didn't take an offer? What's going on with that? I think like the more data points you can score throughout the entire process, Mm -hmm. the more you're going to understand if what's going on is your uh, EVP working, all of those things.
0: No, that makes sense. I think like, what's the best way of kind of getting that message across to people who are outside of this realm, right? So if you're doing employee experience at a large organization and maybe senior management or other individuals don't necessarily understand how to quantify like the importance of employee experience, like what's that kind of North Star that you're pointing out to show them the impact that the work you're doing is having?
1: I mean, it comes down like retention, like Mm -hmm. that is such a big number. Like, are we retaining people? Are we retaining great talent? What are people saying? Are you asking questions about why you're not retaining people? Um, And then even like mid-journey, I think showing data, especially to like senior executives, that's what they want to see. Like, they're like, it's not all parties. It's not all pizza parties and things (laughs) like that. I mean, there's ways to quantify those as well. Like, but employee engagement, like when you zoom out, again, emotional connection, you're measuring that. You're also finding out like, is it your coworkers? Again, is it your space? Is it your tech? Like, what is working within that employee experience? Well, what can we iterate on? And then showing them that data because I could probably like say something, it should be fixed or changed. I might not be believed, but I show the data of like, oh, 55% of our employees believe this. To would be like, oh, okay, that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would make our employee experience better.
0: So you kind of hinted at something interesting. We were talking about this a little bit before, right? But we, we talked about benefits and perks and the importance of these in the kind of general employee experience landscape. And, and you know, you made this amazing point around, around COVID, right? And how a lot of people kind of fall back to this notion of, we, you know, you get to work with awesome people here and you get to work with Sarah and Bob and they're awesome and that's why you should work here. How has COVID impacted that? Like what what do benefits look like post-COVID and and how do you think about that?
1: You gave me this idea. I thought this was so interesting. So I mean people are still there. You're just you're not having those water cooler chats anymore necessarily. Mm -hmm. That employee experience, one of the pillars is physical space. And I think benefits are gonna fill that space. And I I joke that like ping pong tables were the thing that attracted talent. (laughs) I think now we're gonna start seeing benefits be more around unique groupings of benefits that make that organization special. You know, Google had their campus. I mean, I'm sure they'll open eventually, but it's gonna be a completely different world. So the things that they offer while you're home where you're working from home, flexibility. I mean, we talked about this. We think salary is gonna be pretty Mm -hmm. flat across anywhere that you are. I think that's the future. Of comp, So I, I think that the benefits are really going to shine in the long term as the thing that differentiates how employees are seen and um, organizations. And I think they're going to be incredibly unique. But I do think there's also going to be the ping pong tables. And I think they're starting to show up mm-hmm. a little bit with these companies kind of popping up that are doing a lot of like mental health, like virtual like exercise classes and things like that like those are going to be the new ping pong table where everyone has that yeah. option.
0: It's table stakes now, yeah.
1: Unlimited PTO like that was that was that new thing. I think we're going to see more of that on mm-hmm. of a standardization also in just the basics.
0: So you touched on something interesting there right you talked about like benefits being the new kind of point of differentiation and we like harp on about this here at pinpoint like we want organizations to think about being different not just better right like you you can't compete on every metric you have to work out to be different and i think for lots of organizations earlier in their journey. Including Pinpoint, right? We default to personalization. We work really bloody hard to try and personalize the experience of every member of the team and kind of understand as best we can that, like, we can create a benefit or we can roll something out, but every member of the team's going to experience that differently. How do you think about personalization as you scale, right? And how do you think of personalization, like, in a post COVID world?
1: I mean, I want to see where post COVID kind of shakes out, Mm -hmm. honestly. I am see more companies starting to go back to the office now and like when I thought remote was going to be like that's it that's what we have yeah and I think some people do want to go back uh, but personalization I think I've always been about personalization especially with like onboarding is there's consistency and personalization and you can have both but that personalization comes within certain parameters I look at like onboarding this is just like a really like logical one but like if I'm looking at like how I want to set up my computer.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
1: how do I work and be productive at my job? Like you can personalize that in the employee experience and work with your tech team and if they're kind of pushing back on how much stuff costs, you could probably put some numbers behind like a really awesome setup for the like for different roles. Like a receptionist probably doesn't need, you know, the top of the line computer and things like that. Mm-hmm. But an awesome engineer does and like so that you can you can have consistency of choice but you can also have personalization to roles and what that person needs does that like
0: yeah no no it, it does it makes perfect sense I think it's just really difficult to get right it would be all the kind of landscape shifts that we're seeing right now right
1: yeah I, th- I like I look at computers but I think like the same thing you were talking about you know like how you guys customize your benefits a little bit. Some people need more Mm -hmm. work-life balance. Some other people need, like, marketing background as an engineer. Mm -hmm. And I think that even comes from ways of, like, I keep referencing Google, but, like, they have, like, that 20% you can work on anything you want. Yep. You know, maybe there's a 20% time or money, something like that, where you get to choose Mm -hmm. how you get better at something, whether that's life or work but it will make you more productive in in the long run.
0: No, I think that's great. And, you know, that's just kind of draw my memory about even people are even doing that in compensation, right? Like I know you talked before about, and I agree with you that compensation is going to have to kind of standardize, right? Like irrelevant of geography and other things because it, markets will kind of force that to happen. I think what we are seeing there is some people like Buffer, for example, who were doing this a long time ago, who were giving people choice around compensation. So like a lot of the, more forward thinking world I guess compensates heavily with options and equity and RSUs and other things but like those things sometimes are inherently illiquid and so like buffer give employees the choice they can take a slight salary increase or more options right and it's like silly little things like that that actually compound and make a huge difference because you're giving people like choices about what makes the most sense to them like to the company they've determined that the cost difference is negligible but to an individual that's looking to achieve a short-term financial goal or looking to save long-term, like that difference is massive. And I think it's about encouraging organizations to look at small tweaks or small choices they can introduce into their employee experience that gives those people those choices. I think like flexibility is a key driver of today's candidate market, right? And thinking about what you can do to easily offer that is is like super low-hanging fruit. I think when you've been talking about benefits like we've had a great chat so far generally about employee experiences but like bringing this to life like we can't have this conversation without talking about the recent base camp activity right and some of the news they've put out into the market talk to me about that like bring the audience up to scratch for what's happening and kind of give me some, some some thoughts and opinions on it
1: absolutely i wanted to grab what they like put out because mm-hmm. i think the base camp thing is that I have to find this memo. It's insane. So first of all, I call, they called them rules, which I thought was so weird. Like they they put these rules out that um, no more societal or political discussions on company base camp account. Mm-hmm. Okay, like that's pretty clear rule. I'm going to butcher this. No more paternalistic benefits. Like, A, why use a big word for something... <laughs> Like, you say right. You say right. They eliminated their fitness benefit, a wellness allowance, a farmer's market share, and continuing education. So, anything that like benefited the employee, no more committees. They got rid of their DEI, like ERGs. They no more lingering, lingering, wow, or dwelling on past decisions. That one should have just been removed. Let's be honest mm-hmm. on that one. That feels yeah. like they could have done the first three and kind of like called it a cultural change mm-hmm. and like moved on. But that one seems like a little iron fist and no more 360 yeah. reviews, which to <laughs> some of these, I felt like they were just like, I'm done with this. I'm done with this at this at this. Mm-hmm. But generally we've kind of talked about this. I, I keep going back and forth between great decision, terrible decision, mostly because like, I think some people are looking for a neutral work. Base. Mm-hmm. some people not everyone some people you, can you said they're woke you're being anti-racist I'm on the anti-racist side but I think some people want to come to work they aren't just looking for a paycheck they're looking to do great work but they don't want to be involved in that at work
2: mm-hmm.
1: that doesn't mean they don't want to be involved at all I think you said even the CEO really passionate about these things that doesn't mean I want to talk about it from nine to five mm-hmm. like let me go to my protests in my own time. And I think that's okay for employees to want to have that safe space. And now that employee, it's an employee market right now, not an employer market. So I think of,
0: absolutely, like
1: this could potentially set them up to have some great talent come over that want to just put their head down and work and not be distracted and like, and that's okay. But I think it comes to base camp to be completely neutral, and that's where I'm not sure you can do that. Like, that's where I really get hung up on the whole base camp thing is, like, back up to like, probably our grandparents went to work. They didn't have, like, happy hours and pizza parties. Like, <laughs> you know, they went to work for yeah, 30 absolutely. years at the same company, and they were lucky if they got some coffee and a donut once in a while. So, I don't know. I, but I also don't know if ERGs are perks in general. I think ERGs are part of, like, creating community, within your company as well. So again, I'm so torn by what's going on. You're kind of on
0: the fence here, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, just like, could you do this? Maybe. Did you do it wrong up front a little bit?
0: Yeah, that's the thing, right? So like, whether the decision that they made was right or wrong, I think most people would agree that the way that they rolled the decision out or the way that they communicated that decision was fairly poor, right? And like, interesting in light of the fact that Basecamp and and David Heinemar Hansen and Jason Fried are like such notable talkers of workplace culture and the environment. And like a lot of people would call Basecamp a marketing company that sells a product and not a product company, right? Like they historically have been so good at this and they've like written the rules on remote culture and things like that. And they've sort of positioned themselves as the anti-hero here. It's kind of interesting. But yeah, I I think it's interesting, right? Like lots of comments and lots of like broader market commentary on the news has, has been super polarizing like lots of people saying hey this isn't about being prescriptive or prohibiting debate but like I feel super uncomfortable working in an environment where everybody's endorsing and getting behind these super polarizing issues and like I don't want to participate in that and I'm feeling marginalized because I'm not standing up for this or I'm not talking to this issue and I think creating an environment where people don't feel like they have to do that is super difficult. But at the same time, prohibiting it entirely is clearly going to frustrate and marginalize a lot of people for whom this is a super important issue. And so it's difficult. I think one of the things you said earlier, which is is like really rings true, is the scale of their business is so small, right? And the severance package that they were offered was incredibly generous. And so it's difficult. I think lots of people are reading into it as a terrible financial and business decision but actually i think a lot of the people that left left for reasons other than the, the the underlying issues being debated right like if anybody offered someone six months with no commitment to leave and they could you know this this is very desirable talent that can walk into another highly compensated role in a week and so There's lots of driving forces behind this, and I think we need to see the dust settle before we can really reach a conclusion. But Basecamp aren't the first to do this, right? Coinbase have done this, other organizations have done this to great fanfare, and it's interesting to see how this plays out longer term, I think.
1: Yeah, we kind of talked about it beforehand too is that just because you say it doesn't mean it didn't exist before in a lot of organizations. A lot of organizations are apolitical and ask people not to have those conversations at work. I think this is one of the first that put out like a, a statement
2: mm-hmm.
1: about it, which I mean, that's, I think that's the controversial part of it. They're a pretty well known brand,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but I mean, I, I'm just curious to see if they do it well. So, you know, if you're a gay employee and that's considered political, um, like are you letting everyone come completely authentic with no, like, you know, that's who you are. And, and mm-hmm. it's not considered political. That's who you are. Go for it. And, like, how are they handling that? Like, I just, I'm curious on, like, how those things, who people are is not controversial. Are they only handling the political things that are coming up? How are they checking on people? Things like that. Like, I'm just curious on, like, you know, how are they showing empathy to their employees? I think that's where it's going to kind of shake out.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, it's a minefield, right? And I think selfishly, the one thing I'll say is that, like, I'm glad they did it because we can all learn from this experience, good and bad, right? And we've got to watch this closely, but I think the ripples will benefit all of us if we actually pay attention here. And so thank you, Basecamp, for, do- for doing that on everybody else's behalf. I think, conscious of time, and, you know, like all of these great insights you're giving us, I, I want to wrap up with one final question, which I think is, hopefully kind of bridges this all together. And, and you sort of, again, You've segued super nicely into this because when you were talking about the way that Basecamp did this, you sort of said there's a difference between what they say and what they do, right? And there's a difference between putting a blog post out there that says this is who we are as an organization and what it actually looks like on the inside and what they actually value. And so talk about core values and company values, right? Talk about like where they fit in this process because you've got some super interesting views on how values should be rolled out and how they actually matter.
1: Sure, so... When I, I mean, when someone's coming up with like your personal values or my personal values, one of the best exercises is what irks you? Like what really Mm -hmm. riles you up when someone does something to you that really like kind of brings almost physical pain, that that's a value. Someone's hitting a value for you. And I think that extends into a company. Like how are we making decisions? Like what are things that no one survives. Like, you know, they stay for three, six months based on their personality. Like, those are the things that I think you kind of start with. Mm -hmm. Like, what do we stand for? And then what do we all universally say no to? And how are we making decisions? Like, what are the best ways? I think when we were talking earlier, I referenced like the Amazon leadership principles, I think are really good version of kind of, they talk about them every day. They really lean into them. Some are really controversial Mm -hmm. on how they make their decisions. I think there's one about, like, get it out there, sort of. Like, it doesn't need to be perfect. And other companies, like, they want that quality. Perfection is everything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's how I I would start looking at values for a company. Where does everyone stand together? How are people making decisions without the CEO in the room? Mm -hmm. Does that CEO also... Is that how they would make that decision as well? And then you come together and you find all of those middle grounds. And those are your values. If there are a bunch of words on a wall, they don't work. You should be talking about your values every day because it comes down to, I keep saying decisions, but mm-hmm. that's absolutely what it is. Like if you're deciding everything from how are you doing your benefit package, how are you doing your PTO plans, things like that, like they should all connect to your values in some way. Sometimes we look at how we make big decisions and those are the values. We also need to be looking at every person down to the receptionist should be using those as a decision-making tool.
0: That, That makes perfect sense, right? And I think we see so many people get values just completely wrong. And they're almost worse than having no values when they're done in the way that you're talking about, right? Super created in a room by two people that haven't canvassed the business, stuck on a wall in a really dodgy looking poster, and they're done, right? Like, that's the values of most organizations. And I think you're right. If you're not using your values to shape your decision-making process, they're pointless. And as you said, if you're not firing people because they don't adhere to those values or those people aren't working their way out of the business, are they really that important to you, right?
1: Yeah. I think, honestly, most people work themselves out in generally, from what I've seen, when you have values whether you put them on the Mm -hmm. wall or you determine what they are like those exist i mean maybe not a startup i mean i know what you have a smaller team Mm -hmm. but they're still determining how those decisions are made every day if someone comes in and they don't see those values every day whether you define them or not i think that's the thing like cultures build this and I think there's ways to iterate on them and you need to double check. Some companies add one or two mm-hmm. values once in a while. Just I'm always surprised when I see like yeah. ten values. Like I also like I love when they're defined. I think some people also just throw yeah. words up on a wall and People need to understand them.
0: For sure. And But as you say, like to me, there's no harm in the values evolving as the business does. Like the famous Facebook move fast and break things, which is now move fast with stable infrastructure, right? It's like the most telling of all of those things, right? Sometimes all change and scale changes and scope changes. And you shouldn't be afraid of amending your values to reflect that, but they should sort of be that North star. And the further away they are from the values of the decisions that you're making, the less useful they are completely, I guess, right?
1: Absolutely, and I think when the tops, like your executives make the values, Mm -hmm. you're kind of missing the point. Like they are part of the conversation, they're there, but you need to be looking so far deep down into how everyone because when the lowest person on the totem pole makes a decision and it goes to the CEO, they need to partially agree in some way. Like how did you get there? And that path should be kind of set up for them, especially when you're growing so fast. I think that's a thing, a company that scales really quickly, those values can help bring in how you're hiring, how you're interviewing, how you're defining what people's roles are. All of those things keep, they show up, they show up everywhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, even if they're not divine, they're still there. You just have to kind of dig and find out what they are and talk about them. I think that's another thing. A lot of people don't talk about their values every day and they're just something they put on a website as well. They say, we have these things. And that also doesn't count. Like every employee should know all of your values mm-hmm. and talk about them on a regular basis.
0: Amazing. Billy, look, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I've learned a huge amount, and I'm sure everybody else listening has as well. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, yeah, thanks.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: No no sweat. And to everybody listening, thank you for joining us. Uh, Obviously, stay tuned and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. There's many more amazing guests like Billy coming in the next couple of weeks. And on this stuff specifically, right, if you've really enjoyed listening to Billy and want to dive deeper into some stuff on uh, employee experience i'd really recommend checking out a book called fun enough the employee experience uh, by dr tracy Mailer uh, and another book called the alliance by reed hoffman and ben kisnotcher there's loads of great stuff to build upon all the insights billy's given us today so thanks for listening and look forward to seeing you in the next episode